What's right, up, everybody? What's up? This is Conscience. Professor Mike, how you doing? What's up, buddy? I hope that intro sounded okay. I'll get better. Yeah, well, that. we're still getting used to it. New soundboard. We're toying around. New Welcome board. to our channel. I think that might have been a little quiet, but don't worry, guys. I'll, I'll get this. Uh, I'll, I'll get it. Uh, you know, figured out eventually. <laughs> oh, hell no! So, All right, so ahead, welcome to my channel. This is Conscience. Subscribe, hit that notification bell. I just got a thousand subscribers, so help me get above that so YouTube lets me have the community function so I can speak to you all personally. And thank you for watching my videos on a daily basis. This one's called Anyone Worth Do Anything Worth Worth Doing is Worth Doing Badly. Jordan Peterson. So here on the podcast, what do we do, Mike? We cover mental health. Yeah, and I think without having watched this, I think the general point here is going to be something around the idea of like sometimes our need to be perfect or this perceived perfection almost gets in the way of us performing, right? Especially if we're doing complex tasks. Yeah, let's, let's check this out, bro. Okay, let's do it. Jordan Peterson. There's this idea in Jungian psychology called the circumambulation. And Jung had this idea that you had a potential future self, which would be in potential, everything that you could be. And that it manifests itself moment to moment in your present life by making you interested in things. And the things that you're interested in are the things that would guide you along the path that would lead you to maximal development. I love that idea. It sounds like a metaphysical idea or a or a mystical idea even, but, but it's not, it's, it's not. It's a really profoundly biological idea. The idea is something like, well, you're set up so that you're automatically interested in those things that would fully expand you as a well-adapted creature. Well, like, there's nothing radical about that idea. What else could possibly be the case unless there's something fundamentally flawed about you? That is what the the situation would be. It's kind of interesting to think about how that would be manifest moment to moment, but the idea is something like, well, your interest is captured by those things that lead you down the path of development. Well, that better be the case. Okay, so that's fine. And so there's some utility in pursuing those things that you're interested in. That's the call to adventure, let's say. I was going to say danger earlier. All sorts of places. Now, the problem with the call to adventure is like, what the hell do you know? you might be interested in things that are kind of warped and bent. And often it's the case that when new parts of people manifest themselves and grip their interests, say, they do it very badly and shoddily. And so you stumble around like an idiot when you try to do something new. That's why the fool is the precursor to the savior from the the symbolic perspectives, because you have to be a fool before you can be a master. And if you're not willing to be a fool, then you can't be a master. So... So you're gonna, it's, it's an error, <clears throat> error-ridden process. And that's also laid out in the Old Testament stories because the first thing that happens to all these patriarchal figures when God kicks them out of their father's house when they're like 84 is that they, they run into all sorts of trouble and some of it's social and some of it's natural and some of it's a consequence of their own moral inadequacy. So they're fools. And, but, but the thing that's so interesting is that despite the fact that they're fools, they're still supposed to go on the adventure and that they're capable of learning enough as a consequence of moving forward on the adventure so that they straighten themselves out across time. And so it's something like this. This circumambulation that Jung talked about was this 
continual circling in some sense of who you could be. You might notice, for example, that there are themes in your life. You know, when you go back across your experiences, you see you kind of have your typical experience that sort of repeats itself. And there might be variation on it, like a musical theme, but it's, it's like you're, you're circling yourself and getting closer to yourself as you move across time. That's the circumambulation. Now, you remember that for a sec, because we'll go back to it. Okay, so imagine that something glimmers before you. It's an, an interest that's dawning, and you decide, well, first of all, you're paralyzed. You think, well, how do I know if I should pursue that? It's probably a stupid idea. And the proper response to that is, you're right, it probably is a stupid idea, because almost all ideas are stupid. And so, the probability that as you move forward on your adventure that you're going to get it right the first time is zero. It's just not going to happen. And so then you might think, well, maybe I'll just wait around until I get the right idea, and which people do, right? So they're like 40-year-old, 13-year-olds, which is not a good idea. And so they wait around until it's waiting for Godot, it's until they finally got it right. But the problem is you're too stupid to know when you've got it right. So waiting around isn't going to help. Because even if it, the perfect opportunity manifested itself to you in your incomplete form, the probability that you would recognize it as the perfect opportunity is zero. You might even think it's the worst possible idea that you've ever heard of anywhere. Highly likely. Highly likely. So Nietzsche called that a will to stupidity, which I really liked. Stupidity. Because he thought of stupidity as being, it, you know, it's... it's you have to take it into account, fundamentally, and work with it. And so, and so you can take these tentative steps on your pathway to destiny, and you can assume that you're going to do it badly. And that's really useful, because you don't have to beat yourself up. It's pretty easy to do it badly. But the thing is, it's way better to do it badly than not to do it at all. And See, Will, sorry to pause, but I wanted to make the comparison to even like us doing podcasts, right? It's like, if we wait until we're perfect before we start doing podcasts, we're never going to start. Yeah, we're where, gonna are we gonna, where are we going to take that first step and learn, learn the ropes and think about all that we've learned so far as we've been doing it. Yeah. Anything like, that worth doing is worth doing badly. What he's saying is like, you got to get in the game before anything starts happening. It's like a musician writing bad songs. Yeah. You write 30 songs and you might get a banger. Or it's like a martial artist getting, you know, thrown around the gym for the first five years, right? It's exactly. like, if you're never, if you want to, if you want to be a master immediately, you can only try to master easy tasks, basically. Yeah. yeah. And that's a hell of a lot better than just rotting away at home. So that's good. And so why is that? Well, okay. So you, you start your path and you think that you're heading you know, towards your star. And so you go in that direction. And then, because you're here, the world looks a particular way. But then when you move here, the world looks different. And you're different as a consequence of having made that voyage. And so what that means is that now that thing that glimmers in front of you is going to have shifted its location. Because you weren't very good at specifying it to begin with. And now that you're a little sharper and more focused than you were, it's going to reveal itself be with more accuracy to you. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to take a, right? you know, it's almost like 180 degree reversal, but it isn't because you know, you've, I mean, you've gone this far and that's a long ways to get that far, but that's a lot farther than you would be if you just stayed where you were waiting. And so it doesn't matter that you overshoot continually because as you overshoot, even if you don't learn 
what you should have done, you're going to continually learn what you shouldn't keep doing. Right. And if you learn... That's basically the point, right? It's like yeah, how many things... Point. Like right there, when it's I started classic that intro. Learning from your, you're learning from your mistakes, the cliche. Exactly, man. You know? I started that intro a little bit quiet. Next time I'm yeah. going to, I just made a note to self to make sure I always check that volume before I start. You know, it's like. Oh, you typed a note while we're podcasting? Yeah. So like nice. every time we, I have a notepad right here. That's another thing. It's like I keep adding. It's like every time I make a mistake, that's like one more thing that's added to a the fix. prep list for next time. Yeah, so just for the record, uh, Professor Mike here is totally running this podcast. You know, uh, totally running it. It's live. We record it live. There's no edits. Uh, it doesn't get edited at all. These entire conversations are never edited. They're just uploaded straight to YouTube. So this is raw. This is two friends discussing making bad choices and learning from our mistakes. Essentially, well, yeah, Jordan Peterson has a really, he always makes things really complicated, but you know, it boils down to, to pretty cliche statements. You know what I mean? But uh, give it a couple of years though. And that's the thing, yeah. right? It's like, eventually you're the one throwing people around the gym at your yeah. jujitsu club or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's like, and Jordan Peterson, man, he's, he's the master at clarifying incredibly complex philosophies into yeah. usable ideas. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gives ideas. That's the best part about it. And like, look at, he's using, he's using Jung and Nietzsche. Like he's using like two intellectual heavyweights to make his points. Like he's not referring to like a New York times article or whatever, right? like whatever, like whatever. Like he's, he's talking about like the writings of Jung and Nietzsche. Like, yeah, man, love this guy. Let's see this Enough story. about what you shouldn't keep doing. Then that's tantamount at some point to learning at the same time, what you should be doing. So it's okay. Now, what's cool about it, though, I think, is yeah, that... Sorry, I talked over that, but he said, learning what you shouldn't be doing is the same as learning what you should be doing. It's just right. the other side it's of the It's just coin. as beneficial. Like, learning that I made a mistake there, like, we've been, just to keep going on this example, it's like, now that's a note for next time. So now that's actually moved on to the list of what you should be doing. Yeah, if you, if you messed up the first time, and that, that's what led you to learning from that mistake... So right. it's all part of the process of stepping forward, right? As long as you're engaging it like that. Yeah. Right. As long as you're being conscious of that. Yeah. As you progress, the degree of overshooting starts to decline, right? There's nothing hypothetical about that. As you learn a new skill, like even to play a song on the piano, for example, you overshoot madly. You're making all sorts of mistakes to begin with, and then the mistakes, they disappear. There's a great... TED talk, I think it was, about this guy uh, set up a really advanced computational recording system in his home and recorded every single utterance his young child made while learning to speak. And then he put together the child's attempts to say certain phonemes and put them in the list and you can hear the child deviating madly to begin with. And then- So the phonemes are like the parts of words, in case right. anyone doesn't know that. After hundreds and hundreds of repetitions, just zeroing right in on the exact phoneme. So you might not know this, but when kids babble, because they start babbling when they're quite young, they babble every human phoneme, including all sorts of phonemes that adults can't say. And then they, they die into their language so that after they learn, say, English, then there's all sorts of phonemes they can no longer hear or pronounce. But to begin with, it's all there, which is really quite interesting. But as they learn a particular- Which is why if your son, for whatever reason, when you had 
as soon as he was born, you, for work reasons, moved to Egypt and he grew up around Egyptian kids, he would have learned Egyptian mm-hmm. naturally. It's crazy, really, that I always talk about this with students. It's and such were, a mind-blowing yeah. thing. Sorry, go ahead. What were we talking about a couple of weeks ago where there's the unconscious brain? Mm-hmm. It's like the it's like the journey of moving your conscious brain into your subconscious or your unconscious brain. Yeah, it's like you well, because at a certain point, it's like the programming language kind of works. It's almost like you're programmed, born with the operating system that can go any direction. But as you go a direction in terms of like English over Spanish or whatever, as you go towards English, it actually can reduce your ability to learn Spanish. Right. Like, Right. That's why like a lot of the best bilingual people are ones that kind of did it right from the beginning. Right. It's harder to become bilingual fluent in the second language when you're older. You obviously can, but it's harder. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, man, that's, it's crazy to think that how adaptive are we? Like we're so adaptive. The fact that yeah. like we, we could have, you could have been speaking Mandarin and I could have been speaking Russian if we had. But as we, as we adapt, we lost we that ability. Potential. Yeah, but that when you were babbling as a baby, you were saying the, not Chinese words, but you were saying sounds that could have been made into Chinese words or Russian yes. words. Or, so so there, uh, is he saying that all baby babbling across the entire world, every race, every religion, every, every, uh, every language, the babbling is the same? At, at the, first, the first instance of babbling? That's interesting. I'd, I'd have to get back to you on that. But I think what he's saying is he's referencing a study that suggested that. Yeah. Okay. So, so these I've heard that idea a, a lot of times. I've heard that, that said idea. That, that the initial babble is the same across all of view the babble. Yeah, and because all the languages rather. Basically, view the ability to make sound like the ability to make music on a scale, and it's right. like. It's Before like, there's anything learned, it learns how to make use its vocal cords. I think that's the what whole we're scale about. exists, right? So the but initiation then, of the vocal cords is the same across the entire world. Yeah, it's maybe misleading to say like every baby could speak Chinese and Russian and English. It makes it sound like that's already there. I'm just saying the building blocks for all those things are there, but it seems like as we specialize, we lose that generality. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, man. So it's it, it makes like, sense. Like a baby has so much potential, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we see examples of it all the time. Like the example would be just like I used that idea of like if you just if or say if like when Evie was born, we had been living in Quebec, and everyone she was exposed to was French. She would just speak French. She'd right. be the exact exactly. same kid. Yeah, exact same kid. That's so adaptable, right? Yeah, so adaptable language they zero in on the proper way to pronounce that and their errors minimize and every time you learn something that's how it is and that's really useful to know too because it means that it's okay to wander around stupidly before you fix your destination now you see that echoed in exodus right because what happens is that the hebrews escape a tyranny which is kind of whatever you do personally and psychologically when you escape from your previous set of stupidly held and ignorant and stubborn axioms it's like away from that tyranny it's like great i freed myself from that well then what well you think well now i'm on the way it's no you're not now you're in the desert where you wander around stupidly 
you know, and worship the wrong things until you finally organize yourself morally again and head in the proper direction. So that's worth knowing too, because you think, well, I got rid of a lot of things, baggage, excess baggage that I didn't need in my life, and now everything's okay. It's like, no, it's not. You've got rid of a whole set of scaffolds that were keeping you in place, even though they were pathological. And now you have nothing, and nothing actually turns out to be better than something pathological, but you're still stuck with the problem of nothing. And, and that's, well, that's exactly why Exodus is structured the way that it is. It's that you escape from a tyranny, it's hooray, we're no longer slaves. Yeah, well, now you're nihilistic and lost. It's not necessarily an improvement. It's, see, it's what also useful to know that because yeah. you can also be deluded into the idea that, imagine that you're trying to become enlightened, which might mean to turn all those parts of you on that could be turned on. You think, well, that's just a linear pathway uphill. You know, it's just from one success to another. It's No, it's not. It's like, here you are and you're not doing too badly. And the first step is a complete bloody catastrophe. It's worse. And then maybe you can pull yourself together and you hit a new plateau and then that crumbles and shakes and bang, it's worse again. And so, because part of the reason that people don't become enlightened is because it's punctuated by intermittent deserts essentially by intermittent catastrophes and if you don't why don't people get more enlightened? catastrophes because the, the desert path. Can, sorry say it again no sorry man i didn't mean to talk over you so no i was just, just saying the desert so say if this is at the top here is the paradise he's saying the reason we don't get there is because the actual path there has huge deserts at certain parts right at certain and we parts. can get where you wander around that. like an idiot trying to figure things out and forgetting the the initial path right right forgetting right. that you're on a this different journey getting right. lost in the desert is a, is a is a great metaphor know that well then you're basically screwed because you go ahead on your movement forward and you collapse and you think well that didn't work i collapsed it's like no that's par for the course it's not indication that you failed it's just indication that it's really hard and that when you learn something, you also unlearn something. And the thing you unlearned is probably useful and unlearning it actually is painful. You know, let's say if you have to get out of a bad relationship, there isn't any relationship that's 100% bad. And so when you jump out of it, well, maybe you're in better shape, but you're still lonesome and disoriented and you don't know what your past was and you don't know what your present is and you don't know what your future is. It's, that's why people stay with the devil they know instead of, you know, looking for the devil they don't know. So, wow. So anyways, the fact that you're full of faults doesn't mean you have to stop. Yep. And thank God for that. That's a really useful thing. And the fact that you're full of faults doesn't mean that you can't learn. Yep. And so you can posit an ideal and you're going to be wrong about it, but it doesn't matter because what you're right about is positing the ideal moving towards it. If the actual ideal isn't conceptualized perfectly, well, first, surprise, surprise, because like, what are you going to do that's perfect? So it doesn't matter that it's imperfect. It just matters that you do it and that you move forward. So that's really, that's really positive news as far as I'm concerned, because you can actually do that, right? You can do it badly. Anyone can do that. So that's, that's useful. You can do it badly. Anyone can do that. And that uh, it's amazing people knock this guy so hard. Like he's such an intellectual. I get lost in his words. Sometimes I'm just kind of I get lost thinking about one sentence, then he drops another bomb and another bomb and another bomb, and I just get confused almost. It's hard yeah. to follow him. You know what I mean? Yeah, people that don't like him, I don't know. 
I don't even have time I, to comment on them. I don't, yeah, I don't get it. But bro, man, that that because like whatever, he's obviously an intellectual giant and, a, and an absolute treasure of our time. Yeah. Um, bro, my I can hear Evie up though, so let's let's cut this. Yeah, this my was awesome. dude, I hear Lionel too. Lionel screaming like a banshee. I got to help the wife out. All right, bro, I'm gonna stop the recording. You want to say a quick thing? Uh, once guys. again, uh, this is Professor Mike. Say goodbye, buddy. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, make sure to follow my channel. Subscribe. Hit that notification. Check out Wilkie's channel. Conscience. Just got a thousand subs. Thank podcast. everybody who subscribed. Just got a thousand subs. Let's make it a thousand and one. And keep on subbing. Keep on subbing. Keep on subbing. Cheers, guys. Cheers.